Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by HipstersOfTheCoast.com and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at Patreon.com slash Leaving a Legacy. Magic is power. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick. I'm your Legacy Newbie. And with me this week, as always, Mr. Jerry Me. What's up, Jerry? Oh, not much, Pat. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, recovered well from the uh, from the Pioneer event we had this weekend up at Gaming Etc. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, Pat, normally I would love to do some witty conversation with you to get everyone warmed up, but uh, it's our holiday episode. You know what that means. I know what that means. Our listeners know (laughs) what that means. So, uh, Justin, I'm going to need you to fire up that uh, Enter Sandman intro music up to 11. Enter Uh, Sandman. (laughs) Pat, start lighting off those bottle rockets and illegal dollar store uh, fireworks I sent you. And uh, everyone, help me welcome... Back to the cast, four years running for our annual Chris Mahana Kwanzaa episode, Mr. Gavin Verhey. <sighs> yeah. What's up, The summoning Gavin? circle works. Good news, everybody. The, the, the fireworks and <laughs> intro music all, all made it all happen. Although it did make me think about a question. If you could enter to music, like wrestling style, what would be your song? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Hail to the Chief by Jadetta. <laughs> <laughs> that's my intro music. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior, actually, I'm not a wrestling guy, but The Ultimate Warrior, when I was a kid, was very popular. And he had great a great intro song. Uh, but I think if it's for me, uh, I'm probably going to go with uh, either something from the Dropkick Murphys... <laughs> <laughs> or I mean I dig it I dig the Dropkick Murphys uh yeah or something from like old Metallica a- actually, actually can I amend it if I'm if my wrestling character is a heel now that I'm realizing because it's I would probably be a heel <laughs> you, uh, you're definitely a heel. <laughs> for for the max troll value I would enter uh to Concerning Hobbits uh by Howard Shore the uh the Lord of the Rings classic that would be my wrestling <laughs> intro song oh wow yeah yeah you are you're not fooling around. <laughs> Like that someone else has this has this big rock in music, then you just you know come into that. It's all good. Some like plucky violin intro. <laughs> I wonder if I could get to duel the fates from Star Wars. Ooh, that's a good one. Like, it's very topical, I gotta say, but I feel like I could get it. I got to see the Boston Pops with uh, John Williams this summer, and they played Duel of Fates live, and it was amazing. So, so my four year old, my my kids love uh, Star Wars, and my son when he was four, so this was last year would always ask for the Darth Maul song, and that was Duel the Fates, and he would listen to it on repeat in my car. <laughs> he absolutely loved that song. I that's mean, that's funny. one right there. Yep. Yeah. It, the redeeming, it, like, that makes episode one worth watching. Like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you know, for a long time, so I, un- I wa- rewatched those films, and for a long time I thought that um, episode one was the weakest, but I think now episode two is probably the weakest. Um, it's, it's, it's a rough one. I, think I agree. It, I think so. That love story just really dragged it down. Like George Lucas does not know how to write romance. <laughs> it, it dragged I mean, it down, not unlike say sand. His, yes, his, and gets his first shot of romance was uh, was a brother and sister kissing each other. So yeah, he's not great at it. True. Now, now, <laughs> now with that said, obviously I love Star Wars. Super excited. As we record this, it is um, three days before 
Star Wars hits theaters, the, the Rise of Skywalker, and I'm so excited about it. Oh, but yeah. weirdly, we're not here at all to talk about Star Wars. I mean, we I, could, but... We should just start inviting Gavin on for our Star Wars episode, because every oh, time a Star that. Wars episode comes out, we end up spending an episode talking about Star Wars. <laughs> oh, I, I, oh, I've got hot takes to share. <laughs> uh, we're going to have you back on for our uh, next my, Star Wars episode. My, <laughs> uh, here's my hot take. And we're, I'm going to say these words... And then we're going to move on. Can we all agree? I'm just, we're going to say these words, not we're going to move <laughs> all right, on. All right. Agreed. Agreed. My, my, hot take, my hot take is that I think that the casino planet from The Last Jedi is awesome. Wow. Thank you. I actually agree with you. But we're moving on because I know that is yeah. super controversial. But yes, I'm, I'm actually in your camp as well, Gavin. <laughs> I, I agree as well. Wow! Well, <laughs> what a what what a I'm someone's gonna have to reheat that. It's not a very hot take. No, I'm sure. No, I'm sure. No, I mean, if you look anywhere on the internet, you will find about a million people disagreeing with us and calling us idiots for thinking so. They think it's like the worst thing to happen since uh, Episode Two, Attack of the Clones. But <laughs> uh, yes, no, I actually do agree with you, and I I have I can see why you would say that's a hot take, Gavin, because people do not tend to like that scene. Uh, but anyway, yes, yeah, so let's get into something. That we all love. Yeah, well, I was gonna say less. I was gonna say less controversial, but I don't know if that's gonna be true. But uh, Magic the Gathering. Ah, uh, yes. I'm. I'm glad you're addressing the elephant in the room, Gavin, because I feel 2019 of all the years. So we, we've been having you on since what 2015, I think it was. Was your first time coming on the cast? Uh, 2019, I think, has been the spiciest year. Yeah, we're just talking the pre-show. I think it's been four years now, right? Yeah, four so, years. Yeah. It's wild. So, yeah. Crazy. I'm glad the con- tradition's continuing, but yeah, 2019 was a spicy meatball. <laughs> yeah, 2019 is a year of powerful cards. We know we, we gave you a card that got banned in Legacy, so that's appropriate <laughs> for leaving a Legacy, right? Uh, there's also a couple more cards that uh, people are kind of wishing would get banned in Legacy as well. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you want uh, to get the axe in Legacy? What, what are your picks? Uh, my personal pick is Vela Summer. I think Vela Summer needs to get to go it's like it's the way i look at veil of summer is imagine if flusterstorm said draw a card on it as well and you basically have veil of summer um though i wouldn't be surprised if oko also gets the axe because actually today was the pioneer banded and uh, restricted announcement oko just got the x axe in a uh, pioneer oko uh, is a powerful magic card which is. which is funny because when we were talking about the spoilers, we didn't even think Oko was going to end up being playable. No, I talked more about Oko's abs than the than the text in the card. <laughs> to be honest with you, <laughs> the, the thing I the thing I got to say though is if a if a card had to be like a ridiculous planeswalker that got banned, can we all just appreciate for a second? all the elk memes that have ha- came out of it though like you know it's like yeah it's clearly very strong and we had to ban it in a bunch of places but at least we'll always have three three elk you know like that is that is a yes. great meme um people will be making shirts with it for ages i can appreciate that yeah it, it's true it's true so many elk memes i do got you, do you want, I, got, I was gonna ask do you want to talk about elk or cool yeah gavin i got my emmer cool uh turned into an elk for the first time at a uh nice. comp rel tournament uh, and I was I was definitely on the Banoko train for like a solid fifteen <laughs> minutes afterwards. But you had an, you had an elk cool. That's pretty. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, good old elk cool. <laughs> yeah, the the, uh, the Aeon's elk. But now you can now it doesn't have pro instance anymore, so you can unsummon it back to your hand and cast it again. Right? It's all good. Oh wow! Yeah, good good call. <laughs> good call. That's that's what we call value. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Just just look. All I'm saying, cap size. If you have twenty one mana, you can play. Capsize 
uh, or you play Emrakul, you can elk it and then capsize it, and you just take infinite turns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like with the uh, what was the old school one? The Pelincron. The yeah, Palincron, yeah, yeah, Palincron capsize. Yeah, who needs Palincron when you got Emrakul Oko yeah. capsize? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I call this. Um, I don't know, Elk Go. That's whatever deck this is. <laughs> so uh-huh. it's interesting because I, I know that you guys design multiple years out from a set, and I feel like the first time we had you on, we were like, please design us some more cards for Eternal Formats. We really could use a, a few more powerful cards. And then, you know, flash forward four years later, and we're just screaming, no, not like this. Please, <laughs> no mas, like <laughs> No mas. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think it's just it's a classic thing where you get what you want and you you have this image in your head so i'll put it this way um everyone a lot of people ask for something it doesn't matter what it is a format a set like i want to go back to this world or you know i want to i want to set like this or i want mechanic like this whatever and maybe a hundred people will ask or you know in my case thousands of people will ask for the same thing but they all have a different solution in their head and so when you come out with, with the thing, they're like, oh, but not like this. And you know, 90, 98% of them are like, not like this. And sometimes you hit it Sometimes you hit it perfectly and sometimes you don't. Now, t- just before I get any further here, uh, designing Oak the way we did was not a role at Eternal Formats. It was not intended to be a role at Legacy, okay? Um, mm-hmm. there, were, there are sets that are roles at Legacy, like Modern Horizons, for example. We knew a lot of those cards would hit Legacy. Oka was not a, a card targeted toward Legacy. Yeah, and I, I don't really blame the Future Future League or R&D or anyone for not seeing it because uh, very few Legacy players thought Oko was going to be relevant at all. Like, right. it's a blue-green Planeswalker, which traditionally has been very weak in the format. Um, it didn't really pass a lot of the traditional rules uh, that comes uh, to mind with, uh, like, viewing the power level planeswalkers it's like yes it kind of defends itself but like turning your opponent creature into a three three doesn't really save your planeswalker um you know it doesn't it doesn't like have like the traditional power values it's just it's something about oko the way it it plays games out um really breaks the mold um i think it's the combination of the the pluses right having a double plus planeswalker just makes it so unlike how a lot of other planeswalkers play out I mean, we saw that ages ago with Elspeth, but there haven't been that many double-plus Planeswalkers. It really, really um, changes the power level of them. And the fact that it's turn three, you know, or turn two in a, in a format like Legacy, um, really starts warping the game around it so quickly. We saw that with Ren and Six, right? Ren and Six had to go in Legacy because it was incredibly powerful but came down on the second turn. Right. And yeah. uh, now Oko is doing the same. Yeah, and uh, also both both those cars came in with fairly high loyalty. Right. You know, for their for their mana costs. And that's something that we're always, you know, looking at as well. It takes a lot of work, work to chew through. Now, now, am I saying Oka's going to go anywhere in Legacy? I, I don't know. And I, I honestly don't. You know, I'm not I'm not part of the team that's making those calls these days. But I, uh, <laughs> I, I you know, I know it's a powerful card. I mean, hey, it won, it won Vintage. So that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. True. Um, speaking of also the high loyalty, I think people are sleeping on Royal Scions. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, especially if Oko does end up getting banned, if uh, Royal Scions starts seeing a bit of legacy play because uh, oh really that Royal high Scions, loyalty huh? on the cheap the, yeah the cheap uh, power I think it can actually do some work in legacy. I mean three mana planeswalkers are just so strong. If us to launch two in the same set, it's a very gutsy move. So you know right now Royal Scions aren't haven't done a ton. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if they start showing up places. I mean, they're they're powerful. 
My my theory is Royal Scions haven't done a ton because everyone's so focused on Oko, and that's why my prediction is if Oko gets banned, I think that's when we'll start seeing Royal Scions start to get sleeved up. Sure. Yeah, I, I actually agree. Well, Royal Scions is a card that I thought might even see play in Blue Red Delver, and that's like a really low to the ground deck that doesn't want Planeswalkers. It it pairs very well with Dreadhorde Arcanist, which has been yeah. another uh, kind of darling of Legacy. Oh, talk talk year. about a sweet new card from 2019. Dreadhorde Arcanist is sweet. Yeah. It is really sweet. For for all the hate some of the cards in 2019 have gotten, I think Dreadhorde Arcanist was kind of like that, you know, perfect example. It's like the Baleful Strix of 2019. Yeah. Just like really well designed, exactly the like, power you, level that we were expecting. It's like, yeah, okay, well, what are, what's a lot of people's favorite card? Snapcaster Mage. Well, this is sort of like a reusable mm-hmm. Snapcaster Mage that, that has that fun little Johnny moment of how can I work for it, right? And whether it's flashing yeah. back cantrips or finding a way to pump its power to hit two mana cost spells, there's a lot of fun to be had there. I mean, I've played this card in Standard. I've played in Modern. I've played in Legacy. I've played in Cube. It's But it never feels absurdly overpowered or anything. Right. You know, it's just it's just a fun yep. card. Yeah. And that's why I like because uh, both the Royal Scion's abilities play very well with Dreadhorde Arcanist, both yeah. pumping it up to get higher casting spells and, and looting. also looting to yeah. get more spells in the graveyard. Yeah, Jerry, you, I think you sold me on Royal Scions. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, so let's just kind of give our uh, listeners some context. Cause I know it's hard in like the swirl of life, trying to keep everything straight. Um, the first set that came out in uh, 2019, just to give everyone's perspective of where in the timeline we are was uh, Ravnica allegiance. Um, so Ravnica Allegiance came out in January of 2019, kicking the year off. So uh, with with Ravnica Allegiance, I feel are there, were there. I don't think there were any kind of real busted uh, cards in Ravnica Allegiance, but any kind of fun design stories behind that, Gavin? Well, did Hydrochrysis end up seeing any legacy play? Not quite. Uh, I know people talked about it. it up there was definitely some discussion of maybe it, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Yeah, I mean, it. I I hadn't really looked at it that closely until I started seeing it uh, see play in Pioneer. We actually did our uh, leaving leaving a Pioneer event uh, where we had about uh, fifty people come out for a one k Pioneer. Oh, and uh, yeah, we had Crasis uh, was on camera a couple times, and it really reminded me of like a Green Sphinx's revelation. Mm, yeah, I mean, it, it is, right? You play it, you gain a bunch of life, you draw cards. But then unlike Sphinx's Revelation, you got to also spend a card dealing with their, you know, 3-3 three, three or 4-4 four, four flyer <laughs> or something, right? And I mean, that's, right. that's powerful. Um, I mean, it's it doesn't quite scratch the same itch for me as Sphinx's Revelation, but it's not far off. And plus, green is the color of mana ramp, right? So it's so easy to cast that for a big amount. Yeah, actually, so this is a bit of a segue, but I feel it's kind of relevant now. We've talked about Red and Six, which has been banned. Oko, which is on the verge of banning, uh, Veil of Summer, which is also on the verge of banning, uh, Krasis being a uh, a big card uh, in Pioneer and uh, very interesting in other sets. Was there like a conscious decision at R and D to like beef up Green? Like Green seems to have gotten the shot of steroids this year. You know, it's funny. I've been getting that question a lot, and I think it's just the game always kind of has a pendulum that swings back and forth with, with what's getting powerful when. You know, for example, I think we can all have noticed that white is not at its prime right now. 
Um, there's been a lot of discussion online about how weak white is or why white isn't seeing play. And so, you know, right now we're doing a lot of work to try and make white better and we'll push and push and push. And maybe we're going to push the pendulum too far and you'll have the same problem here. And, and with green, there was a long stretch of magic where green wasn't very good. And now we've started adding more and more things into green's color pie. And, and you know, to to that note, a lot of people have, have been noticing this about how it seems like green can do everything now. It can draw cards. It can it can uh, have, find, have card selection. It can play. You can have removal in form of fighting. You know, all, all this kind of stuff. And so... Um, I, it wasn't so much a conscious push, just like us just, you know, continuing to explore what green can do. And, well, it turns out it can do a lot. And if we give it everything all the time, it's dangerous. So now you'll probably see us, you know, scale back green a little bit and make white a little better and work on some of the other colors. And there's always a, swing, a swinging pendulum of, of magic and, and how everything works. Because it's not about – I mean, magic is not about getting everything yeah. to be exactly the perfect balance level at all times in terms of, like, every color, right? If If every color – was a 50 out of 100 at all times, well, then the game doesn't really evolve or feel different from set to set. And it's kind of cool when different blocks, different things are good. Um, right now, green is clearly far and away, um, has been has been too strong this year, or has been super, at least the strong color of the year. But you, I think you'll see us continue to tweak that in the years to come. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, back in the day with uh, Torment, when Wizards was like, guess what, guys? Black is awesome. Get ready for black. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and even though I uh, I know we shouldn't do a set like that again, as a game designer, that, that kind of thing always attracts me. Like, ooh, I love the weird draft format. Sign me up. <laughs> I don't know that it's ever been the right thing to do. Like, I, I'd be curious to know what people out there online thought of the fact that Fate Reforged drafted with both sets. You know, on one hand, it was this cool draft gimmick and there was a time travel thing and it was kind of neat. But on the other hand, ultimately, it put a lot of constraints on Fate Reforged that I don't think made it a better set. I mean, the fact that it had to serve both the Masters of Dragons of Tarkir and Cons of Tarkir, while a fun thought exercise and like the kind of thing that game designers get excited about, probably just made for a harder-to-design set that people didn't like as much. Granted, Fate Reforged, I worked on that team. I think it turned out great. It, it played well, had a lot of cool cards in it. But there were a lot of weird things we had to do, like hybrid mana and stuff like that, mm-hmm. to make sure it could work with Cons of Tarkir and um, Dragons of Tarkir. Um, but yeah, the game designer in me is always like, yes, Torment, let's let's, let's try the all green set or whatever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's kind of like uh, your friend who has like a black-red cube. Every card in this cube is black and red. And it's like, okay, this is cool. Like, restrictions breed creativity, but at the end of the day, sometimes it's just a lot of restrictions. Right, there's like the, there's the Grixis cube that was on Magic Online. I've played a friend's mono blue cube before. Um, and, it's, you know, the thing about all these formats is everything can be novel the first time or two you do it, and that novelty goes a long way. Like, ooh, I haven't done this before. Let me check it out. But then when you're playing it for the 10th, 15th, 20th time, that's when you know you're like, wow, I've, I've, yeah, I'm kind of done with this. And the Magic's color system gives it depth, and so it's really important that there's the colors are all there at different times to be exciting, um, and that you know they're each good in different ways. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so moving along the timeline, coming out May first, War of the Spark. I feel this is where the controversy of 2019 really kind of started. Uh, War of the Spark, I think, was a great idea, but I think it really thrust the Planeswalker to debate into the forefront of uh, players' minds. Well, absolutely. And, you know, first of all, any time you're going to do something that you've never blown out in a set and blow it out, we're going to find find tricky things, right? And Planeswalkers are a card type that we have so carefully um, put out in the world. You know, we've launched so only so many here and there. And so... 
to suddenly be like, okay, we're going to put out an absurd number of planeswalkers in this set, and we're doing these static planeswalker abilities and these uncommon planeswalkers and these minus planeswalkers. I mean, I think that this is one of the most ambitious magic sets of all time. You know, mm. it so much effort was put behind creating it, and the premise of a planeswalker in every pack and that many planeswalkers in the set. I mean, there were people in the building who did not think we could pull it off. I, I'll admit, the first time I heard about it, I was extremely skeptical. Like, this can't be right. A planeswalker in every pack. But, you know, it, it grabbed it grabbed eyes. Um, and it got a lot of people excited about magic. And, you know, 2019, I'm proud to say, is magic's tabletop's best year in history. There's never been a better wow. year than 2019. Um, and so... The um, War of the Spark is uh, definitely a factor for that. And the set was incredibly popular. It did extremely well. And, yeah. um, but it's not to say that it was, was and with, without its own challenges. And all the Planeswalkers definitely led to some challenges for sure. But you know, I, I think it was still an experiment worth running. Now, was it right to, to do? Should we do it again? Um, I don't know if we should ever do something like this again. But it was certainly, certainly an experiment worth running. Yeah, definitely. And one of my favorite things from War of the Spark was I love the idea of uncommon planeswalkers that don't tick up. Uh, Narset excluded, I think all of those planeswalkers were very extremely well designed and have I don't think have any of them have caused any any problems besides Narset and really lead to some really interesting gameplay. They almost feel like living enchantments. Yeah, they do. They're they're basically enchantments you can attack, right? And um you know we We'd never really designed a limited format with this many planeswalkers before. We never did the static ability thing before. So there's a lot to try and get right and balance on these. And I think, you know, one thing I've heard from a lot of people is, you know, some kind of blanket statement about not enjoying static abilities on planeswalkers. And I think that where that stems from is um, people who we had to make so many different planeswalkers and we had to give them all static abilities basically that it meant that we really had to stretch to some weird ones like with narset for example that's kind of a weird ability you know we but we had to stretch to find another ability to put on a blue a blue planeswalker um i think static abilities when there you know aren't a million of them running around are also a lot easier to keep track of and you don't have to worry about us hitting as weird territory quite as often um but I, with yeah. that said i'm super proud of the set i i think it's I personally think it's a blast to play in limited. I think it's done a lot of really interesting things. And yeah, it pushed some barriers. Um, you know, Narset probably ended up a little too strong. But um, it, I'm really glad that we tried all these things out. And I think it'll inform yeah. us well for the future. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, I feel this is mo- much more of a subjective question um, because I think it really just comes down to people's personal preference. And it, I think it also is influenced by when you learn to play magic and what you view as like magic as quote unquote Richard Garfield intended it. But, you know, a big uh, complaint people have had is that they feel planeswalkers and planeswalker interaction leads to un- unfun play styles. Do you do you agree with that? Do you think that it's a misconception of players? Like, what what is your take when you hear someone say it's like, oh, I I don't like all these planeswalkers. It leads to unfun games. Well, to me, what's unfun about planeswalkers is when they start snowballing. I know. Um, I I personally find the gameplay of planeswalkers when like, oh, my opponent plays one, and I've got some creatures. You've got some creatures, and we like try and you know work. You know, there's some interesting gameplay of back and forth and me trying to deal with your planeswalker. I find that interesting. You know, that happens. Actually, in War of the Spark Limited, I found that happened a reasonable amount, which is part of why I enjoyed it. Where things start getting a little less fun is, like, yeah, when my, my game plan is to unload a bunch of planeswalkers on you and 
you know, wrath your board a bunch of times or whatever, and then just slowly accrue advantage behind all my all my planeswalkers because it makes the game start to feel a little similar. You know, I think some people have called it like two on one or three on one gameplay where you you know play a bunch of planeswalkers and your opponent can't deal with it, which uh, especially compounds constructed magic because if you are a control deck and you don't have an answer for planeswalkers. Then, if your opponent lands one, you're just going to slowly get grounded out by this planeswalker's activation. So, I think a thing you know we've been talking about a lot more internally is answers to planeswalkers. Um, you know, we we print removal spells that yes. they can hit planeswalkers. Um, you know, like um, the mur- the murderous rider is that its final name from um, mm-hmm. from Eldraine. Uh, um, yep. But what else could we do? Could we be doing necrotals? Could we, you know, what other spaces are there that can hit things? Should more removal spells just stay or planeswalker on them? Because regardless, when your opponent plays a planeswalker, even if you if you kill it right away, they still get to activate it once, right? So the answers to them right. have to be pretty good. And um, I think, yeah, that's an, that's an area we're evaluating. At, at the same point, like, planeswalkers are a huge part of magic. They're the faces of our game. People, people get so excited about them. And I think, you know... When you're a competitive magic player and you have a background playing competitive magic or commander or you've been in magic for a long time, you, you can see the, the nitty-gritty of, of how they, they impact games and have a lot of opinions. But also, I'll put it this way. When I go to talk at schools or meet kids who are new to magic or even meet adults who are new to, new to magic, but especially kids, a lot of them rate their decks and their collections solely by the number of planeswalkers they own. I'll never forget the time we took a bunch of kids through Wizards, and all they could talk to about to each other were how many Planeswalkers they owned. And when we gave them Planeswalker decks, their minds were blown because it was like, holy smokes, I'm getting another Planeswalker for my collection. I'm not saying that's what Magic should only be about. I'm not saying that we have to, we have to make that a focus at the expense of everything else. And there are ways to, to you know make sure that all audiences are happy here. But Planeswalkers are, have been so important for growing Magic and um, growing its audience that I really don't want to downplay that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tightrope you guys have to walk because you know planeswalkers are very important for magic's growth like you've said and in order for planeswalkers to continue in that role they have to be good enough that people want to play them in their deck like no one wants a an og tybalt (laughs) like they don't want their planeswalkers to be unplayable so you want to make planeswalkers good but you don't want to make planeswalkers so good that they just dominate the competitive scene and they're the only thing you ever see on the competitive scene right and and i mean they are the faces of the sets when you look at a preview season they are the cards that generate that often generate the most discussion i mean there's what people get excited about you know are the mythic rare planeswalkers and so yeah it is important that that they're they're often strong now i don't think everyone in every set should hit you know like for example i'm glad that black green garrick hasn't hit out of um out of eldraine we wouldn't want all three planeswalkers to be hits um you know some should be for a commander or table table you know um social magic play um and they are tough to get right, but I don't think you're going to see us stop doing them anytime soon. I think you will continue to yeah. see us evaluate how we do them and what the answers for them are. I think that's definitely. Um, we're tight on time, so I'm going to take a hard right turn and change topics here. But uh, we also saw some sweet uh, supplementary pro- uh, products come out this year, uh, like the layers. I think were probably one of the biggest supplementary outside of the the usual commander decks that uh, I think people have kind of gotten accustomed to seeing. Uh, can you tell us about kind of the development of the layers? Yeah, well, so uh, S- Secret Layer is a project that was led by Mark Hagen. Uh, who's on my team, he's a fantastic guy. And he's just, you know, there's this, he saw what some other companies were doing with 
surprise drops. Like, hey, this thing is out. You've got an hour. Go get it. Check it out now. And wanted to do something similar for Magic. But, you know, as we iterated and saw how some of the structure consumer stuff was doing, we, we wanted to make it a limited time window, but not make it, hey, if it sells out, too bad. Because um, that has kind of a feel-bad aspect to it. We saw that with, like, Mythic Editions, for example. And so um, we also wanted it to be a way to give players really unique versions of cards. We wanted to do some, like, Magic has... Has, there's such a wide range of what magic could be, and we generally keep it in like a really narrow band. But if we push the envelope, what could we do with, with these um, secret layers? And um, we, he did it successfully, pretty successfully, I'd say. Like, you know, the, the first the seven we did were a huge hit, a, a huge hit. And um, the, we spanned the range really wildly. Like, yeah, we did five that were basic lands. We knew we wanted some that were kind of, you know, a little, um, a little softer just to see how they did. We tried some that were we knew would be super hot. Like Kaleidoscope Killers were giving you like these three rock star um, five-color commanders in a box. Yeah, we knew that one was going to be popular, and it absolutely was, right? And then Bitter Blossom, also really popular. So, so you know, we tried a lot of range, different range there. We tried a lot of different art styles. For example, the Serum Visions are just totally wild, right? Those are such a wild range of styles on those guys. Uh, we tried the yeah. cats. How they cute. remind me of like, uh, the how well cats cute magic cards I really do. love those. <laughs> um, and it, the program was a huge success, so I would expect to see more of these next year. Yeah, I, lo- I love the Serum Visions. They uh, they remind me of uh, the Great Gatsby, that uh, that kind of like nineteen twenty <laughs> style. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, 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 and you know, I think I think you're going to keep us keep seeing us doing is to really push the boundaries of ways and varieties of magic cards because you know I think you're going to keep seeing us change and evolve how magic is. You know, for a long time. Magic was sold in just one kind of booster pack. You had your normal 15-card booster pack. And now, here we are 26 years later, we're evolving. We're trying collector boosters and theme boosters and all these different kinds of lines. And similarly, I think the range of who Magic can appeal to is so much larger. Um, Yeah, we've we've hit a certain kind of audience so far, and we've, we've expanded that audience really well. Magic's doing great, but... Hey, are there people out there who are cat lovers who would just buy these because they love cats, or, or you know, what are? Or recently, we tried the My Little Pony charity set. Are the people who are My Pony Little Pony fans who would get into Magic because they they saw these cards? And what are other ways we can bring people in? So, you know, I think we're going to keep trying out all kinds of different stuff, and we're just going to see what works. And some of it's going to look if you've been playing Magic for a long time, some of it's going to look pretty unconventional. It's going to be a little strange, um, but I I think it's important that we. Um, that we see this and we tr- and we see that you're that we're trying it out and we see how it does and go from there. We're, what you love about Magic is not going to go away. Like you know, we're still going to go to different worlds and make these great sets and there's going to be these wonderful draft formats. But we want to try a bunch of new stuff too to see what are the next the next big vantage points for Magic. And in the past twenty six years, there have been many times when we've tried out something new and bold. And people have thought, well, what are they doing? They're taking away the thing that I love. But I, on the whole, it's mostly just expanded Magic's range. And we're going to keep doing that um, the years to come. Yeah, definitely. Uh, also, I, I, I'm I'm only guessing here, but I feel the secret layers are, are easier to design than, say, like an entire uh, like Modern Master set or Commander set. So I feel like these secret layers are also another way to get more of these reprints into people's hands. Uh, just another kind of like uh, faucet for, for Wizards to turn 
to, to you know get that availability out there. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things that I keep hearing from players is they want reprints. They want, want, want reprints. And there's so many cards that people want to have access to. And Secret Lair is one additional way of putting out targeted reprints. And the fact that we, you know, we're selling it to direct-to-consumer means that we can pull these on a pretty short time frame you know um they they can come together a lot quicker than a normal product because uh, we don't have to you know just of how how we create them so um there's a lot of cool flexibility we can do there i mean i'm not saying that we can have a a card win a tournament in a weekend and have it ready to go the next weekend or anything but we <laughs> but we can put these together on a much quicker time scale nice uh, and I know you have to step out for your meeting. We're going to be coming back with uh, some listener questions. But before you did, I just want to say uh, one set that I really liked is these uh, mystery convention booster packs. Like, I feel these flew under the radar this year. Well, you know, I think they flew under the radar a little bit because right now they're convention only. And you'll be able to go um, play with them in stores in March with a store edition. So I expect there to be a lot more discussion ah, come March. That's what the, but that's my hype. Yeah, because our, our LGS, they just got back from, I think, PAX. And they had a bunch of the the, the cards. And I was looking through them. And um, like I thought I thought it's awesome. Like, And they told me, I don't know if this is a rumor or not, but I heard that the mystery packs is your personal cube. Like that is what was determined by what goes into the mystery packs. Oh, I mean, I, I it's not my personal cube, but I did work on creating the set. Yeah. I mean, it is a, it is an 1700 or really 1800 card magic set. So it's huge. And, um, there's just all kinds of stuff that I love from there. You know, all kinds of love letters, to magic players. It's basically chaos draft and a booster. And, uh, I, which is my, one of my favorite formats to play. And so I've, been playing these things nonstop. I've been. I'm actually considering going to Magic Fest just so I can play more of them. I think I'm going to go to. <laughs> I think I'm going to go go to Magic Fest Austin in January just so I can get my hands on more of these and, and draft them because they are so much fun. And all around uh, at all the conventions and Magic Fest, Fest have had these at so far. They've been incredibly successful. You know, running hundreds of drafts and. Um, People coming up to me over and over, literally nonstop, like, hey, I, I love this, I love this. So if you get the chance, I definitely recommend you play it. Also, there's, like, old card frame cards in these packs, too. So you open up a pack, yeah. and there's, like, you know, a Rishan foot pad staring back at you and, like, a pl- weird play <laughs> test card and, you know, some fun nostalgic stuff. So um, I-, I find it to be a blast. And with the set so huge, you can draft it a bunch of times and never have the same experience twice, which is really cool, too. Right. I actually have a bone to pick with you about that because we've talked a lot about uh, old border reprints and doing like maybe uh, promos or printing newer cards in the old frame that had never been printed in the old frame before. And like kind of the hurdle that we always discuss is the uh, holographic stamp that, um, you know, the newer cards that get printed need to have the holographic uh, stamp. But here I'm going through the the convention packs and here's a weathered uh, wayfinder without that, which is a rare from Onslaught with no hollow stamp on it. So did, did Wizards policy on that change? What's going on? Well, two things I'll say. The first is, you know, that's always been our thing. Hey, we want to make sure that these have this hollow foil security stamp on them. Um, but, you know, we want to test the waters a little, little bit, right, and see how people actually react to that. And so far, I haven't heard many people say that, that they're worried about it. Of course, these kind of things are never a problem until they are, right? But um, <laughs> right. but still. Second, though, um, the way we did this set was very unusual. And I wrote a great article about it. Maybe you can link it in the show notes. Um, sure. But the way that, that we were able to do all this is you might notice that the cards in the set look identical to the cards as they were originally printed, except they have this Planeswalker symbol in the corner. You know, there's no new expansion symbol, no nothing. And that's because um, behind the scenes at Wizards, 
you never hear about them, but they're kind of the unsung heroes of the company, uh, or at least of, of Magic. They are the people who lay out all the cards and typeset all the cards and get them all ready to go. And for them, um, any set of Magic cards is the same amount of work as any other set of Magic cards in the sense that, you know, Commander Anthology, for example, is for us just picking um, a bunch of five reprint decks. It takes us, ten, you know, 10 or 15 minutes maybe. But for them, it is as much work as dropping five brand new Commander decks on them because they have to put them into frame and put their expansion symbol ready to go. And it's a ton of work, right? Um, any kind of master set, same deal, right? Even though it's us picking a bunch of reprints, they still have to have to do the same thing, although we put a lot, lot of work into master sets um, on the design side. Anyway, um, so doing a set this large for Chaos Draft was probably it sounded kind of impossible. Dropping an eighteen hundred card magic set on their heads would be the equivalent of giving them <laughs> over a year's worth of work all at once. <laughs> I need this by Monday. <laughs> um, but what uh, what we discovered is, and it was kind of a, an innovation that we all had this eureka moment about, is if they printed the files they had already created exactly as they were, well, that would be no additional work, of course, because they already created and vetted the files. So the kind of the compromise we were able to strike, the right. way we were able to make this whole thing work is if they printed the old files exactly as they were, we could make the set basically as big as we wanted. And so that's how we got to an 1800-card set. And there were a few files we were missing here and there that we couldn't do. But on the whole, I was able to just select cards that we had previously done. And then actually um, the, the stamp in the bottom left-hand corner is put on later in the process. So they print the cards as they originally were, and then a secondary process stamps them in, in the corner. Um, oh. which is how the whole thing works. So the only way the whole entire thing works at all, and we could get this and, old card and frame why that there, stamp though, like um, why that... was uh, was doing that process. And and why that stamp at all then? Like why not just print them as they were originally printed in boosters? You know, we talked about that. Um, but there were a lot of people, a lot of collectors in the building who were going to be a little miffed of like, hey. That you've never done this before, right? Or or at least in never really done this before. Yeah, there's some exceptions like Challenger decks or things like that. But even those are modern day cards for the most part. Um, the it'd be very if you if you are a collector and you worked a long time to get a set together, and then suddenly nine years later someone's like, oh, here's more cards that look identical to what showed up in that set. That's kind of weird, you know. Um, so we wanted to make sure people had a way to distinguish them, and there were a lot of requests for that. Uh, additionally, I think it's kind of neat in that it's the set's expansion symbol. So now there's some people out there who are like trying to collect the entire set, which hats off to you. I mean, that is that is quite the fun challenge. So um, yeah, I will, that's why we did. I it. will, I will say our LGS was telling us that uh, like people were specifically asking for the that version of the card. Like they wanted the the reprint with the little wizard's logo in the bottom left hand corner. You know, they specifically wanted that over the original printing. Right. That that way. Right. There's. I'm sure there will be people who want to put together entire decks full of that. They're going to want to find their their play sets <laughs> of cards with that symbol because they're slightly more rare or what have you. And yeah, I think it's a fun little mini game they get to go on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, on the whole, while I know it's, uh, it's certainly I've heard that that comment a few times. Like, oh, it's weird. This is here. On the whole, I I am glad that we did that for collectors. Plus, it's you know it, it's it's something just weird about about doing it the other way. Right. Well, also what we were discussing at the LGS that came up is if they didn't have this, you know, Wizards over the years has used different printers with different inks and different right. card stock quality. You know, if you take an uh, original printing of especially like some of the older cards like Onslaught and, and back, 
and then take the card from the convention booster packs, they feel different and they look different because they have like different ink qualities on them. And it almost leads to the fact where it's like, well, like, are people going to think that this is a counterfeit, even though it's an actual real, like, official card? But just because it it's not printed the same way that the originals were, you know, it could lead to some people like mis- misinterpreting that mm-hmm. as it, as being a, uh, a counterfeit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, for example, you know, the Mercadian Masks card, I think, is where you see this really well. Like, if you look at a Russian footpad from Mystery Booster and a Russian footpad from Mercadian Masks, even though they're identical files, literally we handed them off the same files that we used to print Mercadian Masks originally, just the the they are going to look less washed out because that's how that set looked when it was printed, you know? And so even then, there'd be these weird variations where, hey, I'm going to go trade for a Russian footpad, but they all they're all from Mercadian Masks allegedly, but these ones look different, you know? It's kind of weird, so... Yeah, um, I, I think I think they're a huge success. I can't wait for them to hit the stores because I think that's when more people will get their hands on them. Yeah, and, uh, like you said, and I think it'll really blow up from there. I, I think these are great. I, I look forward to more of these and especially if it, it leads to, uh, you know, old border printings like we, we've discussed on uh, previous episodes. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I let me tell you, I want to do those old border cards really bad. And um, I will say, a lot of people have noticed in the building that people seem to be reacting, reacting very well to these old old uh, frame reprints right here. So um, one more uh, one more slight push toward getting those old frame cards. <laughs> yeah, I told you, Gavin, if I need to like write letters to someone, I need to you know order a pizza to someone's office. You just let me know. <laughs> I, I'm a good person to be writing letters to about this. So. <laughs> I, I do all I used to do the weird fun projects at Wizards, and I do all the promo cards. So I'm a good person to ask. Awesome. All right, Jerry, let's get into the uh, Q&A segment of the show today. Oh, boy. Now, Pat, being our resident uh, baby boomer, I know you love your emails. You want to start with the email questions? Yes, I printed them all out, and I'm ready to read. You printed them out? I'm glad. You printed out your questions? (laughs) No. (laughs) Uh, uh, There are people who call me a boomer. I don't know why. It kind of drives me nuts because I'm 34, but... Uh, I like to I like to just lean in and tell people I print out my emails and file them away for later. <laughs> Pat is Pat is just exemplifying the boomer stereotype. Right. Um, all right, let's. Uh, this one's interesting because it's uh, comes from an email who says it's Jack Vanilla, but then it's signed Franco Boli. So we'll just say it's Jack Franco Vanilla Boli. Uh, he wants to know what was your happiest day working at Wizards of the Coast. Ooh. Wow, there are so many good days to choose from. I mean, it could be you know that some days that my set launched, or the days I you know, got people to agree on certain projects or whatever. But um, the day that Commander Legends got greenlighted is a pretty big one for me. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately, I, I mean, it's going to sound kind of um, kind of wild, but I think that my most excited day or happy state was of the coast was a little over eight years ago when the day that I started. I mean, I had worked to get this job for over 10 years. Wow. And so to finally be in the building, meet all these personalities, sit in a chair and be told, okay, here's the upcoming several years of magic. Start looking through it. I mean, that is unbelievable. Wow. So you were um, actively so trying to get that. into a position at Wizards for 10 years? Yeah. When I was 11 years old, I wanted to come work at Wizards and I was wow. hired when I was 21. That's amazing. So I, I spent 10 years trying to get that job. Like I would, you know, I did writing, I did play professionally, I did the whole thing. And I always had an eye toward getting that job at Wizards. I talked about game design. I tried to present my arguments in such a way that um, 
you know, it, it would be clear that I had a knack for understanding the game at a game design level. And I mean, it all eventually miraculously worked and I got the, my dream job. So coming on in was really an amazing experience. That's amazing. I didn't realize that you had your eye on that on that kind of uh, career for so long. Yeah, it's what I've always wanted to do. And, you know, I'm so happy to say that eight years later, it still is what I want to do. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Sick. All right. I got some more questions here from the Facebook page. All right. Bring it on, Facebook. Yeah. Also, I want to preface, guys, I'm going to skip a lot of these questions because while Gavin is a powerful wizard, uh, he is not an all-powerful wizard who controls anything <laughs> and everything that happens at Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> Well, and, and just, you know, for I think it's important to set context for the listeners here. So, you know, what I do a lot of these days is product architecture and product design. So I do some game design. Certainly, you know, I work on projects. I was um, one of the lead designers of Mystery Booster. Um, uh, but, you know, a lot, a lot of the work I do is on coming up with new products and ideas and working on our wide range of products and then actually working with other designers on the sets they're making. So, for example, I might architect um, a set of commander decks, which means I'm not actually in the trenches designing every card, but um, I'm talking to people about the cards that they're making. So, you know, for example, um, last year... Glenn Jones and Ethan Fleischer were the two lead designers of the Commander decks. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't get a lot of messages sent my way and I can't answer them, but just so you, you know kind of what my job title is, it might be a little different than you remember in, in a years past. Yeah, you're, you've kind of, as senior designer, you've stepped more into that you know senior position of kind of being the Sherpa for the other designers and helping them out. Yeah, yeah the product architect is, uh, is kind of my jam. Anyway, yes, go ahead. Uh, on, to, on to the questions. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, so John Kerman wants to know, is this trend of 2019 power creep uh, the new norm? And I think Wizards has like made statements about that this year, about kind of like the, the power level of 2019 and, and kind of setting expectations for uh, the next, you know, couple sets. You know, I think, like I said earlier, we always try and look for, you know, oscillate on things and try and look for new ranges to be in. And, you know, we want to be more powerful than, say, Ixalan here, for example. And the play design team is still trying to trying to figure out exactly what exactly the, the, the perfect point is um, for standard power level. And I'll admit, I don't do a ton on the play design team these days. Those folks know more than I would. But I think Brian Hawley wrote an article recently that talked about this. And maybe we can, can link that in the show notes. Perfect. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, up next, uh, this is something we kind of touched on before, but I'm just going to say it because I think there's probably like five or six other people who also asked for it. Uh, when are we getting new cards in foil old frame? <laughs> <laughs> foil old frame. You, you, you all have progressed from just old frame. You're, for, you're so greedy. I didn't think. You're like, oh no, old frame is not good enough. When are we getting the foil old frame? I mean, I love me some foils. I know there are also other people out there, especially in the old school community, uh, who don't want the foils. Uh, but yeah, people want that old frame, abrupt decay, old frame ponder. We, we just want it bad, Gavin. We want it bad. Well,. I I would love to make that happen. I am very firmly in your in your ball in your court here. Um, you know, I think that uh, Mystery Booster has really helped show people like the old frames, and I've got some some extra ammunition. So let me see what I can do. Let me see what I can do, and and stay tuned. I would like to make this happen. Plus, you know, we're coming up on 30th anniversary in a few years, and there's all kinds of cool stuff happening. Nostalgia is cool these days, right? Stranger Things and yeah. all that. So. Um, let me see. Let me see what I can excellent, do. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. Uh, I would love, though, just like last time, because I know these things change every year, if there are cards you really want to see in the old card frame, let me know. And especially, I mean, I would love to know a range of cards, you know, because we 
I'm not saying we're doing this, okay? But theoretically, if we made, let's say we made a whole set full of old cards or new cards in the old card frame. Well, we couldn't give you all rares. So what, what are some of the commons and uncommons you want to have too, right? Are there just fun commander cards you want or cards you've always loved that you think are charming? You know, stuff like that is cool to know too. So send it my way. Nice. Definitely. Uh, and kind of in that same vein, uh, Chris Thomas wants to know, uh, are we ever going to get a silver bordered cube set? Why silver? I think so that uh, reserve list cards can be printed in it is my guess on why he's asking for silver bordered. Right, S- silver or yeah, gold silver bordered. Or yeah, I, 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 silver to me really. Yeah, it's more un- it's like when I, when I hear silver bordered cube, I'm like, I'm like uncube. <laughs> you, you want me to to make you an uncube? Um, yeah, or gold bordered. You know, I I love cube. I'm a big advocate of doing some kind of cube style product. Um, Mystery Booster to me is a step in that direction of seeing if people are excited mm-hmm. by it. Um, and turns out people are. People are loving Mystery Booster. Um, and it feels, it's not cube, but it feels somewhere between Chaos Draft and cube. It's a lot more powerful than most Chaos Drafts because there's you know more rares on average in the packs and it's more of a curated list. So I think it's a step in that direction to show there's a lot of excitement behind that kind of thing. And, you know, maybe in time you'll see something like that. I think there's a lot of different ways we could do it. We could, you know, we could just sell a cube in a box. We could also sell a, a cube set. There's, you know, all kinds of stuff we could hit up. Awesome. Uh, Dominic, our friend Dominic Monfrey, he's got a good question here. As the creator of Modern, what are your personal thoughts about Pioneer? I'm so excited. I, I'm stoked for Pioneer. I mean, I feel like anytime there's a new format, I'm personally pro new formats. I love having new things to try out. I love having new things to discover and, um, you know, whether or not the format will live will kind of be trial by fire situation. And so I am totally down with uh, with us creating new formats and trying them out here and there. Um, Pioneer so far has been a blast. I mean, yeah, we've had to, you know, ban a number of cards so far, but that was the goal, right? We were going to start with a small ban list Mm -hmm. and add more things to it over time. So that shouldn't surprise anybody. And as a brewer, it's been so much fun just seeing what people are doing. Um, And I think think Pioneer is very real. We're going to do a lot with it next year. And, um, yeah, I'm stoked for it. Uh, In fact, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, this is internally we were like, Oh, is Pioneer going to be a success? You know, we don't know. We're going to try it out. We'll see what happens. And so we announce it on, I don't know, I don't remember what day it was, like Monday or Wednesday or whatever it was. And then I'm in Europe at Luca Comics and Games, this, like, game convention that happens out there, and I'm spell-slinging. So I'm sitting down waiting to play against people. And maybe the number one question I was asked when people sat down was, do you have a Pioneer deck to play with? And then when I told them no, they were like, they were, like, they were, they were uh, thrown to the wind. They're like, well, how could you possibly not have a Pioneer deck built with you? And I'm like, when I left for this trip, we had not yet announced this format. You already have a deck? That's amazing. Um, so, I mean, people got excited about it very quickly. And uh, I think that's a testament to, to how, how much cool stuff there is in the format. So, yes, now I'm building up Pioneer decks and I'm ready, ready to battle. Yeah, I mean, we just did uh, our first non-legacy event. We did Leaving a Pioneer, and it was a, it was a big success. We got a great turnout. You needed some new alliteration, though. Leaving a Pioneer is uh, it's not I quite know. the, like, p- pushing a Pioneer or planning a Pioneer. We, we were also thinking, they're like, pioneering a legacy, and, you know, I don't know. We're, we're still workshopping the name. <laughs> uh, also, okay, I doubt you're going to be able to answer this, but I'm going to throw it Perfect. out there in case I get a surprise. <laughs> what better question to ask? These are the best kind of yeah, questions. Uh, Matthew wants to know, slivers in 2020, yes or no? We just... We just gave you a bunch of slivers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we want more, Gavin. Give us more. You know, 
<laughs> Here's what I'll say. When you sit down and you're at dinner, you have this great meal, and then you're like, I would like some dessert. And they bring you out, like, you know, you're like, great, what dessert do you want? And they're, you're like, I would like, you look at the menu, it's like, oh, man, there's so many great options. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to have this ice cream. And they bring you out this, like, great ice cream, like three little dollops of it, and you chow it all down. You're like, oh, my gosh, that was so good. You know what your immediate instinct is? Your immediate instinct is to, like, call over the chef and be like, yo, chef, I would like more of this ice cream. Or I'd love to try some of your other desserts. Um, and, you know, we don't do that. Uh, or at least I, I don't do that. Maybe, maybe some people out there do. But in general, your stomach hasn't quite caught up to you yet. And you're going to be, when you, if you eat a second round, round of ice cream, you're going to feel kind of crappy afterward. Like the first round of ice cream, great, wonderful, glad you ate it. Second round of that same dessert, you're like, ooh, that was not necessary. So this is not a yes or a no answer. It was just a metaphor I was creating. But the, <laughs> but the metaphor to me is, you know, Give it some time, um, you know, for slivers. We know they're popular. We know players want more of them. You will absolutely get more of them in the future. There is no no worries about that. Um, but uh, I don't know that we have to have them every single year, right? Things are more fun when you don't have them all the time. And you don't want a course of six desserts. I mean, I do, but after dinner, you know. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, here's that, f- friends, was a metaphor. Excellent. <laughs> you get an A on your English paper. <laughs> uh Here's a fun one from Phil. Uh, which magic character would win a presidential election? Bonus points if it's not Nicol Bolas. I mean, Jace is pretty good at wiping people's minds and controlling them, right? It's got to be a <laughs> got to be a strong pick. Uh, yeah, but does he have the charisma to be a president? That's the question. Here's, here's potentially a more interesting question: Which planeswalker is least qualified to be president? Oh, Ooh. well. Vraska can't ever like talk to anyone, right? Because they just turn to stone. No, so that's not the lore. not a great not a great. Diplomat. That's not the lore patch. He can control. Yeah, I it. know, but like I'm just saying, like you know, as a, you get the whole whatever. the whole Darth Vader rule by fear thing going on there. I'm gonna sure. I'm gonna say Ugin because he's dead, and you can't have a dead sitting <laughs> president. <laughs> I'm going to say Urza, because he's been known to be a bad person in a place of power. I would think that just makes him the most ideal political candidate. <laughs> I feel like Urza would not want to be a president. He'd want to be like a like a supreme leader. Yeah. He doesn't. Want, he doesn't want to be elected. Yeah, Obnixilis is probably another bad choice for a president. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, you know, leave your picks in the in the leaving a legacy uh, comments, and we'll we'll see yeah. what we can do. <laughs> Uh, also, Sarkinval's literally insane, so that's probably not a good one either. Uh, and then Phil has a serious question follow-up. Uh, with Secret Layer uh, being the taste test, will we see more future uh, Secret Layers uh, catering to legacy tastes specifically? Well, I think you'll definitely see us do more Secret Layers. Um, and given that we're going to do more of them, it's... I think you're absolutely going to see some that will have cards legacy players want to own. I mean, if you look at the ones we've already done, there's already cards in there that can play in legacy. Serum Visions being yeah. a fine example. The snow-covered lands are something that I'm sure people will play with. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Also, Bitter Blossom. Bitter Blossom's tearing it up in legacy right now. Well, and I know, and I know the deck's falling out of favor a little, a little bit, but all those goblins too, right? I mean, um, yeah, we're not going to talk about the goblins one, Gavin. I don't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> No, my feelings are made to be hurt. Tell me what you feel. Uh, I I appreciate all the art styles. I appreciate all the different art styles and doing stuff stuff different. I feel the secret layer goblins was a bridge too far. Well, and that's, you know, earlier in this podcast, I was talking about how we wanted to try out a range of styles. 
so that we could see what was too yep. far, what was close enough. And some of them were going to push the limits, right? And hey, it's <laughs> good to know that this one pushed your limits. Yeah, definitely. I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate, you know, trying, trying out different things. But yeah, the the, the secret layer goblins, because I was excited for goblins, because I do like seeing those those goblin reprints. But uh, that art, that art, just that it, it, it deep me deep in the soul. I, I couldn't handle it. Yeah, I mean, let me tell you, as someone who is who, who has uh, watched Mark Hagen work on these, there's some cool stuff. Um, so awesome. Well, I'll look forward to some future ones. Those those will be great. Uh, so Aiden's got a couple. We're gonna we're gonna blow through these. Um, can you make planeswalkers die to death, death touch to balance it out? And this is something we've thrown around and discussed previously. Is just instead of printing answers to planeswalkers, just doing a blanket like rules adjustment to make t- planeswalkers a little easier to deal with. Well, if the question is can you, my answer is almost always yes. Right. We certainly, okay. we certainly can. Um, will, will we? Will we? I, I don't think so. Um, for one, it would functionally change a very wide swath of cards. Um, but two, you know, I, Death Touch is is a mechanic that hasn't like it shows up on some cards and it's cool. Um, but I'd only give it would magic would be as fun if it was everywhere because it means that creature size stops mattering, right? If I have a one one with Death Touch and you have a six six, well. I paid one mana for my 1-1. One, one. You paid six mana for your 6-6. Six, six. Wow, I feel really dumb for playing the 6-6 six, six when it runs into your 1-1 one, one death touch. And some of that is okay. Like It's fun to have a little bit of that around. You know, It's cool to be able to draft your Typhoid Rats as a defense in your blue-black deck. Mm-hmm. But if there was a ton of death touch running around, I don't think we'd enjoy it very much. Um, and I, I, mean, I think you're more... if you would be more likely to see us create a new keyword that was good at fighting off Planeswalkers, I think, before we made death touch um, kill Planeswalkers too. That's my personal opinion. Gotcha. Nice. Uh, here's a good one. Uh, in your eyes, what was the biggest success of 2019 and what was the biggest failure and how can you capitalize on the success and mitigate failure in the future? Oh, wow. That's a tough one. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, the success to me, you know, I think, I think there's, there's two great answers for the success. Um, and they're both for slightly different reasons. I'd say either war, the spark or modern horizons. I, I think they're both incredibly ambitious sets that are doing brand new things and, um, you know, they really set precedent for things that, that could come, right? Could we do a Planeswalker set successfully? Could we do a straight-to-modern set successfully? Like, what does that look like? You know, I'd probably give it to Modern Horizons, I think, of those two. Um, although War was very ambitious, but Modern Horizons was really something brand new and out of left field that um, was a tricky one to get right. Um, least successful, successful thing of this year as far as products go? Um Oh, also, I mean, not, you know, everyone forgets about these, but the guild kits were total slam dunk too. That was another great product. Um, let's see what else, what what was maybe not a success from this year. You know, I, I don't want to sound like, like that company shill is like, oh, we did everything right, and I can't think of anything <laughs> negative. But off the top of my head, we really had an amazing year. Off the top of my head, nothing nothing immediately um, comes to mind. I would you know I'd have to look at a list of products for the year, and then I could probably pick something out. But um, I mean, it, it felt like we just kept releasing strong stuff over and over and over again and it was all pretty successful awesome um i'm I'm sorry by the way once again if it feels like a cop-out answer i apologize but no i i mean i think (laughs) i think people people's perception is people have problems with individual cards and that's fine but as far as like sets go which is the way you think about magic you know you think about things from like a more holistic point of view all the sets have been great it's just those great sets have produced some kind of redheaded stepchildren 
Yeah, yeah, and you know, and uh, I don't disagree with that. That, but the yeah, the, you're right. The way that I look at magic is I. I personally, not everyone at Wizards, but I personally in my current job look at it from a much higher like 10,000 foot view of like here's all the sets in order for the next six years and how they're going to interact with each other and what are our big product plans and here's what's going to be commander focused and et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah, from the set level, I felt like everything was great. Yeah, from the individual right. card level, like if we were talking about individual failures, then I could say you know a, a number of things. I could tell you Oko, for example, which um, definitely ended up you know really, 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 really strong. Um, I, you know, that's one example, but I'd have to think more about that. Yeah. Speaking of, so this actually plays into one of Aiden's questions here, because I've heard stories about it. Basically, like, how did Oko make it into print the way it did? And the story that I've heard was Oko was a different card that Playtest decided was not very fun. So they decided to change it and they just ended up changing it into something else that was not very fun for different reasons. You know, so first of all, I will admit, I was working on a lot of different sets around the time Throne of Eldraine hit, so Throne was not my big priority. You know, I worked on War of the Spark, I worked on Mystery Booster, I was working on all this new Commander stuff, and I can only work on so many sets. So Throne was a set that, um, I mean, I I kind of had an idea of what was going on, but especially when it got to play design, I didn't do a ton of work with them on it. Um, And, you know, that's more of like Andrew Brown and Melissa DeTora and all those fine folks. my understanding with Oko is that they tried a lot of different versions of them, some maybe even more powerful than the one that got printed, and they you know, tried a lot of different iterations. They eventually settled on this one. I don't know exactly the details of, of how that all went down, but I do know they tested the card a lot in a lot of different versions, um, and I, I don't know the details as well as how they settled on this one. And I, I mean, I could, you know, if I was a, a lesser interviewee, I could make something really dramatic up, but uh, I'd rather just tell you the truth. I, I don't know the answer. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely appreciated. Um, so uh, this one is kind of a loaded question. Um, yeah, these other ones that- were all softballs. There weren't any difficult ones before this, but now we're getting to the hard stuff. So uh, – we noticed this with, I believe it was like GP Bologna, the legacy GP, which uh, I think I had like 1600 player turnout, which is like great. Um, but a thing someone, uh, people were pointing out is that I think it was between like 25, 30, 35% of cards registered for GP Bologna were cards printed in 2019. And people were thinking, you know, you have almost 30 years of magic cards to choose from why is a third of your deck new cards that just came out this year in legacy which is supposed to be the showcase format for all sets and aiden wants to know do you feel that the widespread adoption of new cards in eternal formats to be a good thing Hmm. you know it goes back to something we talked about earlier where um People, you know, I've come on this on this podcast uh, three other times now, and a question I think you that has been asked every year, and I could be misremembering because I go, you know, maybe a different podcast asked me, but I've been asked, you know, are you going to make more cards that will impact legacy? Oh yeah, no, right? we definitely have asked you that every single time, and I think that circles back to what we said at the beginning of the episode. But where... As we mentioned earlier, right? It's like, well, here <laughs> yeah. we finally gave you some cards that impact legacy, and you're like, oh no, no, but but not in this way, and <laughs> not like this. not like this, <laughs> and um, so. I mean, what I would love to know from the players is, do you like it? Like, would you prefer that Legacy was the same forever? Was the problem this year, in your mind, that too many cards were added, right? Would you prefer there to be one card a year, two card a year? Was it the kinds of cards that were added that you didn't like? There was, you know, some aggressive threats. Um, My perspective is that it was too too many. 
Yeah, I mean, right. That's exactly the thing. Like, a legacy is a format that changes so seldom that when a lot of cards suddenly shake it up, it's a big deal. And I think, you know, Modern Horizons is a big a big culprit there because it was infusing a lot of cards into Modern. And, of course, by by natural reality, a lot of the, more of those are just going to be able to hit legacy because they're higher-powered cards. Um, so... I'll be curious to see what, see what happens in the future. I'll say that we're happy to keep making stuff for Legacy, and as we continue to do stuff for Modern and Pioneer, you're going to see stuff, um, you know, fall fall into Legacy. You know, if we make standard cards now with the intention to hit Pioneer or Modern, those will continue to fall down into Legacy. So I think some of it was, you know, accidental. I don't know that we really wanted Nurse it to be a, a top card in Legacy, um, but some of it will be intentional. And um, you know, I think we've seen what happened this year, and you can keep that in mind going forward. Yeah, I think my my personal perspective is just it was a little too much too frequently. You know, historically, when legacy players were asking for more cards, we were seeing maybe one card a set that would even be legacy playable and maybe one card a year that would shake up the legacy meta in and, in and of itself. And at this rate, it feels like we're getting like five plus cards a set that are legacy playable with like format warping cards in every single set and when it's just set after set after set of format warping cards you know people i think definitely their heads were spinning no one really knew what the meta was doing because there were so many busted cards out there that people were moving on to the next good thing before they even had a chance to fully explore the busted cards from the set before sure sure i mean that's something that's all good feedback uh, Pat, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, well, everyone who's anyone who listens to this cast knows that like I one of the my biggest issues with the cards that came out in the last year was just how destabilizing they were to a format where we feel like we have a lot of stability. And like to me, there's so many good things about that and then so many drawbacks to it. And it really depends on what you're looking for in the format. I think it's something that Gavin had mentioned, like, are you looking for something that's very stable, something that's a little bit more you know, that gets refreshed from time to time. Like, you know, cards I can remember that had an impact on Legacy were things like Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time and Monastery Mentor. And these cards came out, you know, every every few sets. And, um, you know, we never had, like, a single set where, like, three or four or five of the cards became Legacy All-Stars and, and changed the the texture of the format and had to be banned within, you know, a year of them being released. It seemed, it seemed kind of crazy to me. Like, it took years for Sensei's Top and Death Rich Shaman to get banned out of the format, and like we saw, we saw Red and Six get banned within five, I think five months of it being in the format. So, um, you know, I, I think, I think that there, you know, what's the best way to put it? I think that Wizards probably, you know, like you guys run a business. I completely understand that, and you know, you guys are looking to, you know, increase your 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 bottom line or however you want to describe it. And you know, a lot of that is, like you said, like people love Planeswalkers. That's a huge selling point for fans of the game, and um. Those are probably those are probably my least favorite part of Magic or Planeswalkers. I just I don't think that they're I don't like the the way that they are the way that they change the game. You know, again, this is for me who's been playing for a, a long, long time. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is, is like you know that that aspect of it I haven't been a huge fan of. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, 2019 we saw a lot of cards come into the format, and uh, you know, there there things are still shaking out. Like you said, Jerry, people have been jumping from you know. Uh, uh, new toy to new toy without really fully exploring kind of where those are leading us. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things shake out is what I'm saying. You know, like there, there are cards that I'm not a huge fan of, but uh, I'm sure things will shake out in, in the end. Here's the interesting question. If 
if we let's say theoretically there were 10 cards we made it in a year that were going to impact legacy let's say i could just tell you with complete certainty there will be exactly 10 cards that will impact legacy never actually going to be this way but i'm just curious of course how would you prefer them divvied up throughout the year would you prefer that they're like all in one set so a big change happens at once and you're like ooh, here's all this new stuff to try out would you prefer that every set has like oh two-ish or so and you get to slowly try them out as the year goes on i'm just yeah what what would you all prefer that is such a good question. And, like, obviously, like, if we had a crystal ball and we were we were that aware of what cards would and would impact formats, like, you know, I, I think people, even people who work with you, Gavin, would love to have that kind of that kind of omniscience. <laughs> um, but, um, uh, you know, that's a good question. I, I kind of like I kind of like things being sort of lightly sprinkled throughout the year, personally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say that with legacy playable cards, if we're talking about like legacy format warping, like on the power level of Deathrite Shaman, Renin Six, um, I would say first ten is too many just for that many warping cards. But uh, for like actual warping cards, I would kind of want it front loaded all at once, uh, so that. Well, you said playable, not necessarily. Okay. Warping, yeah. Right? So like yeah. So if it's playable, I would want it sprinkled out. You know, you you want yeah. you want like you want like two or three legacy playable cards in each set because that is what makes spoiler season exciting for legacy players yeah. is going on that treasure hunt for the legacy playable card in the spoiler. Which which by the way, like a lot of times we get wrong because when we saw uh modern modern horizons, like you know, I know some people kind of raise their eyebrows at Red and Six, uh, but I think like we said, Oko kind of flew under the radar. Astrolabe seemed like a good car, but you know, you know, wasn't we weren't really sure of it. Veil of Summer from M twenty was kind of you know, kind of flew under the radar as well. So it, it's funny how, you know, <laughs> it doesn't none of us are hitting are batting a thousand when it comes to identifying cards that are powerful in the format, at least not in this podcast. So <laughs> Yeah, it, it it's hard. It's really hard. You know, we try and do it all the time and even then, as nice. you noted, we For sure. still miss sometimes. So it's tricky. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and again, like I think I've said this every time we you, you've come on when people ask ask tough questions, and of course, like you know, we are I don't want to say critical, but we care a lot about the game, and uh, you know, obviously you do too, and the people who work at Wizards do too, and, and we I think we all want what's best for for the formats and for the game, uh, and you know, for the for the game as a you know as a, a continually aging and innovating you know brand, and I think. Uh, I think we can all get most of what we want when it comes down to that, you know? Nice. So. Uh, Jeremy Tibbetts, though, taking it in the other direction, loving the spice. You know, he's not content with uh, vehicles and planeswalkers. He wants to know, when are we getting a new card type? Bring it on. <laughs> wow. Um, how about yeah. that for a question? Um, um, I mean, you know, we, we've given you a lot of new toys this year. Oh. Yeah, do, do, do you feel that there's design space for a new card type right now? Like, if you were going to design a new card type, do you do you, like do you even have a remote idea of what that would be, or is that something you're not really thinking about now? Well, all I'm saying is, um, if you've played Mystery Booster Convention Edition, you know that there is a Vanguard card in among the playtest cards. So there's it's draftable. You can play in your sealed deck. So there, there's a card type for you. Oh, um, interesting. So that's a thing. Uh, um, I I have some ideas for different card types we could do, but you know, there's a few things. First of all, I think Magic has a pretty good range of card types that do a lot of the things you'd want to do in a game right now. And second of all, adding a new card type is such a difficult process. First of all, it takes a lot of design work to get just right because once you introduce it, it's locked that way forever. You know, we spend a lot of time on things like planeswalkers and equipment because we wanted to get them right because that's how it's going to be going forward. 
Two, you, you know, you're introducing something brand new into a game that's Definitely. 26 years old. And how is it going to interact with all the other cards? You've got to take all that into consideration. Mm-hmm. And then three, you know, historically, when we try out new card types, it tends to um, end up with cards that are too powerful, right? You look at vehicles, for example, in Kaladesh or equipment in Mirrodin. Um, so that's the thing we'd want to be very, very careful about. So it just takes a lot of work to get right. And yeah, I think you'll see at some point in Magic's future, you will absolutely see another card type. Um, I have some ideas for what they could be. But I don't think that there's any rush to do it right now, you know. Um, doing something, I say this a lot. Doing something for the sake of doing the thing is almost never a good reason. Doing something because a set has a need for it or we think the game would be better for it is a much better reason. And there are a lot of sets I could think that we might, that we could make that might want specific new card types. Or there are issues I could see in the game that someday we might need to solve that might want specific card types. But right now, I don't feel like the game needs any new card types to function. And so I wouldn't want to put it in just to put it in. Hmm. Good. Uh, uh, this is an interesting one from uh, Marcus. Uh, when do we get basic islands planeswalkers? I want to be able to respond with a fetch land activation to get a static ability on a planeswalker <laughs> for a brainstorm out of my island. <laughs> he wants fetchable planeswalkers. <laughs> I made mystery boosters, and I don't even understand that. <laughs> Not- he's a notable high tide player, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Okay. So wait. So yeah. so so can you you back up? Can I? Uh, it's possible. I just didn't catch this right. So you can you want to be able to crack a fetch land and get a planeswalker? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he basically wants a ba- a basic land with planeswalker text. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I think that question. Pretty much speaks for itself, and I think we'll move on to the next question. Now. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I, I, I I appreciate all questions. Um, that one is, I made mystery boosters, and that one is pretty wild. Okay, awesome, awesome. <laughs> um, so Jasper has a has a good one. It's actually for you personally, Gavin. Instead of just screaming at the void of Watsy, that a lot of these questions are. Um, uh, I would love Gavin's take on one-sided prison effects. Uh, I know that a lot of people bemoan the war walkers and that even Mark Rosewater has said that static abilities were too much for limited. Uh, but what I haven't heard people talk about much about is that one-sided prison effects uh, on a lot of them. Narset, Teferi, Karn, all put a lock on the opponent without the same kind of deck-building constraints other prison cards could impose. So, you know, I think, and I alluded to this earlier, but one of the things about War of the Spark is we had all these Planeswalkers, and we wanted them all to have static abilities. And so because of that, we had to dig pretty deep to find some of them. You know, the first few are easy. When creatures die, you get a bonus. Great. Um, you know, you have Hexproof. Sure. But after a while, you start really running, running low on them. And so we had to come up with some more unusual ones that fit the characters too. That's also another restriction. And so we ended up with it with things like, you know, Karn and Teferi and um, Narset and all this stuff. Now in any given set, if we just, you know, make three planeswalkers in a set and give a static ability to one of them, I don't think you're going to see as much of this or it's going to be as noticeable. But in War of the Spark specifically, because we had to dig so deep for a lot of these, it, it was tricky. Um, and that's how you ended up with these kind of effects. Uh, all right, two two more questions, Jerry. I think uh, before we wrap up here, um, Dustin Hagler asks: Will you will you reprint Grizzlebrand and uh, you know change the CMC to seven and finally fix the most egregious mistake in Magic history? <laughs> will we, we reprint Grizzlebrand? Uh, I think absolutely. Will we change the CMC to seven? <laughs> absolutely not. 
<laughs> just to rat and, him. <laughs> and, uh, Flaw, and sometimes uh, design flaws make the game beautiful. Also, can we, Crystal Brand is a pretty powerful magic card. I think it's okay. I think it's okay. You know, take that yeah. extra damage off of your uh, reanimate. Okay, agree. Just, just live with it. Um, Finally, uh, I think this Andrew Black question, Jerry, is a good one to wrap up on. He said, he asks, what is something that we as legacy players can do to help the magic community and make your job a little easier? Oh, you know, that's a really thoughtful question. Thank you, Andrew Black. Um, You know, there's a few things. The first is, I love hearing your feedback. Love, 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 love it. Please keep sending it to me. I know a lot of you are vocal and you do. And, you know, venues like this podcast are a great way to get it to me. And a lot of great ideas have come out of literally talking on this podcast or talking with listeners of this podcast to um, to put in the legacy format. So, so thank you for all that, you know. Um, when you give feedback, you know, please – what I ask of everyone when they give me feedback is – I know not everyone's going to do this. But what I ask is just before you send it to me, just take a minute or two to think about – what that would mean for the greater game of magic and if that's the right thing to do you know for example there's some feedback that such as you should make cards in old card frames which is like okay well it takes some logistical issues to solve but you know we could do it in the right setting and that would be something that wouldn't impact the wider game of magic and people in legacy could really enjoy and you know it brings back some nostalgia potentially and that'd be cool to do someday maybe but on the flip side there's um and once again no offense to anyone here but you should make an island planeswalker which is just like you know, that's not. That's gonna be bad for standard. It's gonna blow up legacy. It doesn't make any sense. Why, why would we do that? Um, and, you know, and I get a lot of a lot of requests from people all the time. And so think if you can just pre-vet them with yourself a little bit and think about what the ramifications of what that would be. It it really may, helps out. And I know, by the way, I think the island planes marketing was a joke. My guess is that yes. was a joke. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I'm sorry for picking on it, but it's, you know, picking on it on a, something that was intended to be a joke is always easier anyway. Um, so it's just just take a couple minutes, think about what the ramifications of such a thing would be, um, and then please send me your feedback. And that's that's really really helpful. As far as what you can do in the greater context of Magic, I think being welcoming is really important. There's a lot of formats in Magic now. We've got Pioneer entering. We've got you know Commander as a big big stalwart. We've got Modern taking up a lot of room. Um, Legacy is is going to be hard to get into for a lot of people. And so just being welping, welcoming, helping them out, being willing to lend decks, um, all that stuff I think is great. And the Legacy community is, is so vibrant and wonderful, and I love talking with all yeah. of you, um, that I know you'll continue to do a great job in this regard. Yeah, I got to say, I've been around the country. I've visited a lot of legacy communities around the country. And the common factor that I see time and time again in areas with strong uh, legacy communities is that those areas have a couple of members who are just that guy who have the cards to loan to people and they're trusting and they put themselves out there and they put the decks together to loan out to people and having one or two people in your area uh, that does that. Uh, I know it's a very hard role to fill. It's not something that someone can just take the mantle upon, you know, and wake up one day and decide to do it because of the expense involved. But having those types of people in your community is the difference between having a vibrant community and having a uh, kind of lackluster community. Yeah, thank you all for playing. You know, it's a really fun format. I love Legacy. So I appreciate all the hard work that all of you do to, to keep the format um, exciting and keep innovating and everything. Yeah, and, we, and of course, we, we love having you on, Gavin. We really appreciate you taking the time to come on. And, and every holiday, we get a story time with Gavin, and it's a bunch of fun. And I know the, uh, the listeners really love it. So thank you for that. No, it's always a pleasure. And if you're listening to this, you're always welcome to reach out to me. I'm happy to chat with you. Hell yeah. Wonderful. 
Any uh, any future traveling plans? I see you're a man of uh, of uh, of you know. You spend a lot of time on planes. Anywhere <laughs> are you do. going in the future? I you do spend a lot to? of time on planes. Um, I am uh, in a few days now. I'm packing up. I'm going to go back to New York for a couple days on route to. Um, going to be in New York for Christmas, and then I'm um, popping over to Europe, and I'm going to go to um, going to stop by London briefly, but then I'm hitting up Madeira in Portugal. And uh, then following that up with a trip through Morocco. So that should be exciting. Wow. That sounds um, awesome. So it'll be a fun trip with some delicious food and gr- great stories and hopefully, um, you know, all good stories. And I'll try and visit some Magic players while I'm there and making, making some plans for it. So it should be fun. <laughs> awesome. Hell yeah. Awesome. All right, Gavin. Well, can't wait to have you back again. Uh, we'll, we'll have you back for uh, our, our Star Wars recap episode. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> can't wait to hear it. Can't wait to hear it. <laughs> Great. Uh, well, Gavin, people can find you, of course, on Facebook. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? It's my name. Super easy. I'm Gavin Verhey. <laughs> awesome. And uh, you can find Jerry. Actually, at J- you can find me basically everywhere at my name because <laughs> I'm the person who has it and no one else does, apparently. So that's great for SEO. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> can we address pizzas directly to you when sending them to Watsi with our, our card requests for bannings and unbannings? Or should that be forwarded to someone else? I- I'll admit. I'll admit. So this whole send me send pizzas to, to Watsi thing... Um, is pretty bad for me for for two reasons. <laughs> One, I am when it comes to banning cards, I am not the person making those decisions, with the exception maybe of when we were doing some popper stuff, and I know a mm-hmm. lot about popper, um, so they wrote me in as as an expert. But in general, it's more the play design team. Second of all, I don't really eat pizza, so it's <gasps> it's it's just not gonna. Now I say that with with a caveat. I don't eat pizza in Seattle. If I'm on the East Coast and there's good <laughs> pizza involved, I will go nosh on that pizza, you know. Yeah. But in Seattle, I'm afraid the pizza quality is a little yeah, substandard. Yeah, it's not there. So, it's just not there. Um, there's a, we have a lot of great food out here. I'm a big foodie. I love the food scene. But look, I'm gonna I'm gonna eat the good stuff out here. I'm gonna eat the seafood and sushi and Thai food and you know uh, what have you. But I'll I'll leave the pizza to the experts on the East Coast and you know where, where, where all y'all live. <laughs> yeah, what I, what I'm hearing is do your research, folks. Uh, go on and see those uh, you know five star uh, hidden gems and uh, and order takeout from there to send to Gavin. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Send send R and D a bunch of sushi. You know, we'll all really appreciate it. Nice. Except for, except for the vegetarians, but you know, we do what we can. We'll send them rice. Oh, perfect. Awesome. All right. Well, you can find Jerry at J M E three R D. Find me at Pat Ugo. The uh, the podcast is at L A L M T G. Uh, you can find us on Patreon. Support us there. It's patreon.com slash leaving a legacy. We're on Hipsters the Coast. Uh, find us on Facebook. You can email us at leavinglegacymtg at gmail uh jerry anything you want to add before we get out of here i think that's it shout out to our awesome editor justin he's gonna have a fun one with this episode and uh we, we love you guys we hope you all have a fantastic holiday um and we'll catch you all next week hell yeah bye bye thanks for listening Come on down to